0: It's good to be back. Thank you for uh, praying with us as we were on a vacation and uh, got to travel uh, to Virginia and to Washington D.C. and see some of the sites there. It's good to be back home. It's good to be back at P.F.N. Amen, amen. Um, so, <clears throat> I was thinking the other day, shortly after Carol and I, uh, we've been called to Freeport, Illinois. We've called to the church there in Freeport, Illinois. One of the men in the church came up to me and asked that if I was ever in the city of Rockford, and and Freeport and Rockford are pretty close to one another, if I was in Rockford, if I would mind just stopping by and seeing his parents. They had moved to Rockford, and he thought it would just be a a good thing, and uh, he would appreciate if his parents and his pastor had a friendship with one another. And so whenever I was in Rockford, not every time, but I made the the extra stop at Gary and Mary's house, and we would talk, and we would sit there at the table, and we would read the Bible together, and we would share, or they would share in their latest health struggles and the things that were going on in their life, and we would pray, and then I would be on my way. And I always enjoyed my time with that elderly couple, and we became pretty close friends. This couple didn't have much. They they were uh, uh, lived very simply, but whenever I would come, Mary would make sure that she would make a pot of coffee for me, or, or she would offer whatever she had. Maybe it was a pitcher of lemonade or some cookies or something like that, and she would give whatever they had to me whenever I stopped by. And and Gary and Mary always lived very quiet lives, but their lives in their home was highlighted by their love for one another, but even more so their love for Jesus. And sadly, uh, about a year or so after we met, Gary died. And I had the honor of preaching at his funeral. And as funerals go. Some are easier than others, honestly, And but this one was a very easy funeral to preach at because I had spent so much time with Gary and Mary around their kitchen table, and I was just able to talk about my friend. I was able to talk about the guy that loved Jesus so much, and I was able to share about his kindness and about his just quiet generosity and But as I I was delivering that message for the funeral that day, I noticed the looks on the faces of some of his family. I'd never met them before, and they had never met me before, and their faces started to turn, and their heads kind of tilted, you know, like a dog hears a weird noise, and they they were looking at me weird, and it was just like I... Maybe I started growing antlers or something, or I started speaking Chinese, and they're like, what is this guy saying? I don't even understand him. And as I talked about my friend, and I praised him for his quiet life of great faith, they thought I was talking about someone else. You see, the person that I was talking about, and the person that most of his family knew, were two completely different people. Gary had become a Christian and invited Jesus into his life only about two years before I met him. And uh, what I didn't know, though, is what his family had kind of written Gary off. And his family didn't know him as this kind man that I knew him. They knew him to be stern, and they knew him to be difficult, and they knew him to even be mean at times. And and they had kind of written him off, and they had not spoken to him in years. See, they hadn't met Gary after he met Jesus. They'd written him out of their life, and they came to the funeral that day just out of respect for him and, and the family, but they certainly were not expecting the preacher to get up that day and talk about this guy that was so kind and generous. They weren't expecting the preacher to talk about his love for his Savior, Jesus. That funeral had a, has had a very profound impact on my life ever since that day. See, I would hope that the things that people say about me now are a whole lot different than what people would have said about me before I met Jesus. And the same thing I hope it is true for you. Your relationship, our relationship with Jesus should change the person that we are. Because with Jesus, the old self has died and the new can come alive and start new. Next week in our service, we're going to celebrate baptisms uh, with, uh, with people. And if you're uh, looking to be baptized or interested in being baptized, stick around after the second service so we can talk a little bit. But we're going to be celebrating uh, that, that baptism. We're going to be celebrating that the old self is gone and then the new self is, is being risen up. That this new person has been created in Christ. Because our relationship with Jesus should bring about a noticeable change in my demeanor. My relationship with Jesus should bring a noticeable change in my behavior. See, I'm glad that Gary met Jesus before he died, of course, but how I wish that his family would have met the Gary that I knew. Man, I know he could have made a difference in their life. Wow. I wish his family could have spent time with him and Jesus, just like I did around that kitchen table, because Jesus made all the difference in Gary's life. And our story is pretty much the same as well. Uh, Our story is that it's about a man or it's about a woman that has been radically transformed by Jesus. Um, My story's like that. Uh, Most people that uh, I knew pre-Jesus wouldn't ever believe that I am standing up here as a pastor today, but Jesus has made all the difference. We're going to read a story about how Jesus radically transformed the life of a man. His story is in the book of Acts. So I want you to go ahead and turn there if you have uh, the word with you. Uh, we were, as we were on vacation, you don't have sermon notes again, so you're going to have to physically turn to God's word this morning. So you have a pew Bible in front of you. If you don't have an electronic device to go to God's word, but go to the book of Acts the book of Acts is the fifth book in the New Testament. The New Testament is the second half or the, sec- or the last third, really, of, of the Bible. And so as you're flipping through, if you get to Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, those are the Gospels. Go one more book and you'll find the book of Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the Gospels tell the story of Jesus, and the book of Acts tells the story of how the church was started. So find chapter 9, that's the big number, and we're going to start reading Acts chapter 9, verse 1. This is the Word of God. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way meaning that they were now followers of Jesus, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. We're going to pause there for a little bit. I know a couple of weeks ago, I, I, I preached about David and Goliath, and in that story had a guy named Saul. That was thousands of years before this guy, Saul. I remember when when I had just become a Christian, I really knew not a whole lot about the Bible at all, and, and I was reading Acts, and here was this guy, Saul. Well, I had heard about this guy, Saul, in the Old Testament, but I didn't know that they were two different people. And so it just made, I even told my, my pastor once, I really wish these people had different names. It would make it a whole lot easier for me to understand, but uh, now I know, but then I didn't, that these two guys of the same name are separated by thousands and thousands of years. So here's this guy, uh, Saul. Saul has had a radical experience with Jesus, so much so that you know Saul now by a different name. He was given a different name. You probably heard of Paul who goes on to preach and teach about Jesus. Saul's name was eventually changed to Paul. Even if you didn't grow up in the church, you probably have heard of St. Paul, same guy, right? There are many, many, many churches that have been named after him. Uh, Perhaps you've heard of St. Paul's Cathedral in London and a huge, huge church. It's all named after St. Paul. Except Paul used to be Saul. And Saul was a very different person than Paul. The man pre-Jesus was completely different than the man post-Jesus. Saul was a very feared man. Uh, Saul was trying his best to eradicate the world of these uh, followers of Jesus. And Saul thought that these followers of Jesus were an offense to a holy God of Israel. And this new religious movement of these Christians had to be stopped at all costs. And so he traveled around with orders in hand from the church to imprison and even kill Christians because of their reckless behavior who considered Jesus to be God. And if you were one of these new followers of Jesus, if you were one of these new Christians, you would want nothing to do with Saul or any of his men. Saul was, for lack of a better word, Saul was a religious terrorist. That's what he was. And God had to take drastic action to change a man like Saul. So look at verse 7. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless they heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. So in this vision, uh, Jesus appears to Saul, and suddenly he, he knew That even though he he thought he was defending God, even though he thought he was defending this kingdom of God, he then found out that he's actually become the persecutor of God. He was the one that has been speaking against the one true God, and he knew in that instant that Jesus is God. See, this vision of of Jesus left Saul blind. And after encountering Jesus on the Damascus road, Saul was led into the city by his friends, and that's where he stayed for three days. His eyesight was suddenly gone, and and he didn't eat or he didn't drink anything. For three days there he was. Maybe you can imagine what he was going through. He probably was scared. He's left to consider, just left with his thoughts. He couldn't see anything. There were no distractions around, and his mind was probably racing. He's left to consider what kind of life that he led. He's probably wondering what kind of life he's going to lead now from this point forward. And for 72 long hours of deep reflection and prayer, we can only imagine what is going on through Saul's mind. What have I done? What have I done? How could I have been so wrong about Jesus? What is going to happen to me? What do I do now? See, in my mind's eye, I see Saul there in that house just nervously contemplating the rest of his life because this one encounter with Jesus has changed everything. And this one encounter with Jesus has left him physically blind. But more than that, I bet he is tense. I bet he's uneasy. I bet he's nervous and he was certainly confused. And as Saul sat in that house, I wonder what was going on in his mind. On one hand, he's seen the light. On one hand, he he now knows the truth. He now knows that Jesus is real. He knows that Jesus is God Jesus, the one whom he's been persecuting this whole time, has opened his mind, yet closed his eyes. See, when someone becomes a Christian, often we say, oh, they've, they've seen the light. They, they understand they had the light of Christ within them. Their, their eyes become open and they can see Uh, with new clarity, because they're seeing with with fresh eyes. We're seeing the world finally through the eyes of, of Christ. And on one hand, Saul has been awakened to this great light, but on the other hand, he is now blind. And he's probably wondering if his physical eyes are ever going to see light again. Verse 10. In Damascus... I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem, and he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer. For my name. The Word of God says there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And I just shared with you all we know about Ananias. That's it. We don't know if Ananias had any special education. We don't know if he had any sort of training uh, by the church. We don't know if he was young or whether he was old. We don't know what Ananias did for a living. We don't know if he was rich or poor or if he was powerful or prominent or if he was little known or just obscure. The only thing we know about Ananias is he was a follower of Jesus and he was listening just a regular man that was ready when the Lord called. I, I don't know about you, but I've never heard the Lord audibly speak. Brian, Brian. Ne- I think I'd freak out if I heard that. But uh, I've never heard that. Ananias probably hadn't until that moment when he heard His name, but he knew it was the Lord. Clearly he was listening. And understandably, he was a little nervous about what the Lord had to say. Go and speak to Saul of Tarsus? Are you kidding me? The Saul of Tarsus? Ananias knew all about this guy. He knew all about Saul. He knew all about his reputation. See, the people in Damascus have already heard that he was on his way. They had already heard that that Saul is on his way to the town, and people would have run ahead warning these new followers these new people following the way jesus they knew what would have happened they knew the unrest that this guy and his men were going to cause in the city and perhaps that's why we find ananias in his place ready to hear the lord for he was obviously praying He was praying for intervention for his city. He was praying for the intervention of his fellow followers of Jesus. The new followers of Jesus would have been just as fearful of Saul showing up to their city as Ananias was. And so we find this man and he's apprehensive and he's anxious and he's uneasy about what Jesus is asking him to do. And this assignment made no sense to him. No sense whatsoever. I'm sure he was thinking, what is going to happen to the new church? What is going to happen to to the other followers of Jesus? What is going to happen to me if I go and talk to this guy? See, if you pay close attention to to God's word, there's a common theme that runs through it. We saw it when we talked about David and Goliath. We heard about it when when, when Cheryl uh, preached last week when Jesus prayed during the night before he was crucified. This theme runs throughout all of of, uh, scripture and it's the power and the presence of God overcomes all fear, always does. And so even though Ananias was afraid, even though uh, he was scared, he got up and he went into the house and there sitting in the house was the guy that he was most afraid of. There was Saul the persecutor of the way, the killer of Christians. Verse 17, Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Listen to these words of Ananias as he spoke. Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who has appeared to you as you were traveling, has sent me. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus Christ has sent me to you. When I started attending the Nazarene Church in Peoria, um, people would come up to me and they would introduce themselves to me and they called me by a name that I had never been called before. It's no secret that when I first came to the Nazarene church, I thought all of you people were weird. I, I really did. I, well, maybe it was just the people in Peoria are weird. I don't know. but I mean, these people did stuff that we never did in the church that I grew up with. They say, said amen during a sermon. They spoke during church. They raised their hands during worship. And these people were weird to me, right? I grew up as an an only child so having somebody come up to me and call me brother made no sense to me whatsoever. It was a little strange. But becoming part of a church gave me a relationship that I had never had before. I was welcomed into their family as brother. Brother. 72 hours earlier, Saul was determined to erase the earth of all of these followers of Jesus, and now one of them is standing in the very room with him, and he calls him brother. Saul had gone from being the ultimate bully to a brother in just a few days. Saul was being accepted into the family of Christians. He didn't have to do anything. He didn't have to clean himself up. Ananias didn't show up with some checklist for for Saul to go through and say, hey, once you do all of these behaviors, we'll welcome you in. None of that happened. He was just told, Ananias was just told by the Lord to go and find this man, his new brother in Christ. Ananias is now a brother to Saul. Not because of anything that Saul did, truly, was in spite of anything that Saul ever did in his life. But there in that house sat Ananias' new brother because Jesus had forgiven him. Period. That's it. <laughs> That's it. <coughs> and as Ananias listened, And has Ananias obeyed, and then Ananias is gone. We don't know what happened to Ananias. We have no record of whether he and Saul became best friends, whether they hung out and went to dinner and had barbecue together. We have no idea. He just disappears from scripture. We don't know if Ananias went on to do big things for the church or, or for the kingdom or for the world. All we know is this man showed up because Jesus told him to and then he disappears out of scripture as fast as he shows up. I recently met a man. We, we hired him to do some, some work for us and I don't know much about this guy but I do know that in his past he had really fallen on hard times and he's trying his best to, to, pro, uh, to provide for his family and I don't know much about his background he did tell me just, hey, I've, I've got myself in a lot of trouble in, in the past and uh, just trying to do the right thing. He told me he didn't elaborate on what that trouble was and I didn't ever ask because it didn't really matter. See, I recognize that he has come into my life through a series of events that if I were to explain it to you, you would say, that's impossible. And I know that it has only happened because of God. No one else would would cross this man's path with, with mine if God hadn't have orchestrated it. And after he's done with the work that he's been hired to do, he and I may never see each other again. But for this moment, I know that I have been led into his life. So pray for him. Because I know that he doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. And I may be the only Jesus he ever knows. My time with him is going to be limited. You, you probably have people that come into your life just like that. You, you may meet them today. You may only know them for a short period of time. And you know that if you are going to have an impact on them for the kingdom of God, you only have this short period of time. And you may be apprehensive and you may not have the words to say, perhaps you're fearful. You don't know how you're going to say the right thing to generate the greatest impact for Jesus. But you don't go alone. Jesus goes with you. The Holy Spirit goes with you. So you say something, some measure of kindness and encouragement or empathy, and then, who knows, perhaps you may never see that person after today. And the only record of our interaction with that person is going to be the memory of us both. Don't underestimate the power of a chance interaction that God gives you. God is still a God with dirty hands. God is still involved in our life and the life of every unbeliever, whether they know him or not. And sometimes, sometimes he is going to send us people that he wants us to talk to about his son. See, you may never be called to be Paul. You may never be called to be the one out front. You may never be called to be the one leading a crowd. You may never be called to be the one recognized at all. But all of us are called to be Ananias. You and I are called to push back the darkness of this world one conversation at a time. One act of kindness at a time. We are called to recognize that the hand of God may just be positioning us for one interaction at a time, one relationship at a time. And we may never, we may never gain the notoriety of Paul, but we all have to move throughout this world with the spirit of Ananias. When the Lord calls you, Steve, Gordon, Kevin, Don, Ben, Rachel, insert your name there. When the Lord calls you to speak to someone about the hope that you have in Jesus, may you be Ananias and say, here I am, Lord, here I am. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we we follow and worship a sovereign God. One Lord who has control over the, the happenings of this world beyond our imagination. Could it be, could it be, Lord, that today as we go to lunch or uh, to the gas station, to the grocery store, could it be, Lord, as we sit across the table from someone today, a family member, a friend, or uh, someone we've never even met before, could it be that you have us there for that time, for that reason? Lord, we are scared to death sometimes to open up our, our, our mouth about how good you are to us. But Lord, we know that we don't go alone. We go there with the Holy Spirit. And the act of obedience is merely to show up and to start opening our mouths. And we trust you, Lord, that you have the words that need to be said. Lord, we also trust you that you have gone before us as you promised in scripture many times that you have gone before us, Lord. So uh, Lord, as we are having those, what we think may be a chance encounter with someone today or this week, may we trust, Lord, that you have worked in their life and brought them to the, this moment. Lord, we may not be the ones to introduce them to you for the first time we may not be the one to to get them to finally accept you and to become a christian but lord may we just be obedient may we just be obedient and be ananias and beyond our fear know lord that you are going with us and you have gone before us just like you did with saul We trust you, Lord, for those interactions we have this week. And Lord, I pray for the the courage and the bravery for any of us that go on out of this sanctuary today. Knowing, Lord, that you have placed people in our life this week that we can share how good you are. Lord, I pray for those encounters i pray lord for these conversations i pray lord for those phone conversations and when we even invite someone to thanksgiving service next week may we fill our church with those that we want to share jesus with thank you lord for allowing us to be ananias and it's in your name and all of us say together Amen.